Welcome to the Bible study. Tonight, we're going to sing in 852.
Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Oh, Lord Jesus. Thy dwelling place, O Lord, I love. Yes, amen. It is thy church so blessed. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Thy dwelling place. It is thy joy and heart's desire. Delight. Amen. 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 Thy dwelling place, O Lord. I never want to go out. Oh, Lord Jesus, you want to in the church life, Lord. Yes, amen. 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 Oh, Lord Jesus. Amen. God, beloved God, thou in thy body seen, she is my true and heart's desire, the one in whom I learn. Amen. 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 In her, thy full supply, O Lord, thou dost do to me in part. Amen. 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 Thy church is thy beloved bride. Yes. How in thy body see. Amen. She is my joy Amen. and heart desire. The one on whom I live. Amen. 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 In her, thy full supply, O oh Lord, thou dost to me impart. In her, Am I possessed by thee to satisfy thy heart? Amen. 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 For her thou hast become my life, that she may my living be. For her I would forsake myself, that she be filled with thee. Amen. 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 That dwelling place, O oh Lord, I love. It is thy church, thy home. Amen. In it I would forever live and never long, never longer roam. Amen. 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 Amen, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 Amen, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For her, thou hast become my life, that she might live in thee. Amen. For her, I would forsake myself, that she be filled with thee. Amen. 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 Yes. Amen. The church is thy beloved bride, thou in thy body seen. Yes. She Amen. is my joy and heart's desire, 
the one Amen. on whom I live. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. No telling place. Oh Lord, I love. Amen. So blessed, oh Lord, it is thy joy, heart delight. And when thy heart finds rest, oh hallelujah, thy heart finds rest in the church, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You gave yourself up for the church. Amen. Lord, tonight we are here, Lord, to give us to give ourselves up for the church, for the body Amen. of Christ. Amen. Oh, this is your heart desire, Lord. Amen. 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 I just want to. Um, sorry, I have a bit of an issue with my computer. But um, I'd still like to just share something with you related to the hymn. In this hymn, we see that actually the Lord has a heart's desire. And to so many of God's children today, the only thing that they focus on and what they see before them is Christ's redemption. And of course, we treasure Christ's redemption, right? To the uttermost. But brothers and sisters, we have to see that it is the church that God loves. In verse 2, well, let's begin with verse 1. Actually, in verse 1, we see that it is the Lord's joy and his heart's delight. And then in verse 2, we see that, that the Lord did not just give himself up to redeem us. Praise the Lord. He gave himself for the body. For the church, for he, that he might meet his heart's desire. And then in verse 3, we see that now that the Lord has saved us, we need to become, we need to become those who live for this, that the church would be our living. Brothers and sisters, this is what the Lord desires. He desires that the church would be our living. And then in verse, verse 5, we see that even it's in this in this dwelling place of God that we are receiving the supply from the Lord and that he is imparting himself into us. And saints, then lastly, it's not just the dwelling place of God and it's not just what God loves, but it also has to become what we love. Lord, O oh Lord, oh, thy dwelling place, O oh Lord, I love. The church, your home. Amen. We want to be in this, in this reality. And may the Lord bring us all into this. Even tonight, show us a little bit more of what is in his heart's desire. Etienne, maybe we can sing this hymn again, brother.
Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. That's something the Lord gave himself up for. In stanza two, so precious to him. Amen. And he really doesn't save us. He wants us to also be given for his body. He doesn't just want us yeah. to separate Christians. Like Jacob was maybe saved and he got broken. He wanted to bring Jacob to Bethel. Amen. Yes. The Lord wants us to also give our body for the Lord's heart's desire. We want to make like ourselves. We'll be filled with him. Amen. And we want to live in church, which is our home and the Lord's home. We want to live there forever in the church life. Amen. And never longer run. Amen. 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 For her, I would forsake myself that mm. she be filled with thee. Amen. 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 Your dwelling place, O Lord, is my joy and heart's desire. Amen. Heart's desire. Mm. Amen. 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 For Amen. 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 Thy dwelling place, O Lord, I love. Amen. Amen. It is thy church, thy home. Amen. Amen. In, in, amen. In it, I would forever live and never longer roam. Amen. Amen. The church is one on whom we live. Amen. Amen. In her, thy full supply, O Lord. Thou dost to me impart. I am in her, I possess my thee to satisfy thy heart. Amen. Maybe we can begin. Amen. How wonderful we can enjoy the hymn in such a rich way. Amen. I hope we can even digest it a little bit more, maybe after this meeting. It'd be good if we can just sing it to the Lord by ourselves. Amen. Lord, Amen. Oh, 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 we want to be those who, who love your dwelling place. May the Lord really impart this to each one of us. So tonight we're going to cover Genesis chapter 34. And we'll read from verse 1 to 31. So we can break up in groups and then we'll read Genesis chapter 34. Amen, saints. I think I'll be sharing on the first part. Oh, what a chapter. It's, um, it's a chapter we might want to skip, <laughs> oh Lord, when you're reading the Bible. And um, yeah, but uh, reading the, the life study, the ministry opened up this word so that we can get the life even out of this chapter. 
Oh, Lord Jesus, you want to get the lie from every word. So I guess I could start by saying, do you believe that Genesis chapter 34 is God-breathed? Uh, or, or do you think maybe, no, not this chapter? Because 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable. So, and uh, John 6.63 says, the words which the Lord has spoken, they are spirit and are life. Amen. So may the Lord enliven us and enlighten us to see the life, even in chapter 34. I admit, when I read this the first time, I would not have seen what is happening or what this applies to me. It's just a terrible uh, account of um, Jacob's daughter gets defiled, like a terrible sin happening, and then his sons are angry, and they make a deceitful plan to um, get revenge, and then they eventually carry out their plan, and they kill so many people in the city of Shechem, every male, and they take all the stuff, all the goods, all the oxen and things, and the, they just plunder that city. And then this ends, ends with Jacob saying, my goodness, so men and Levi, you have brought trouble upon me by making me, uh, some translations say, stink among the inhabitants of the land, like makes me rip, like repulse, what's it? Like revolting to the people of the land, just terrible. Like, and now all the people of the land are going to want to kill Jacob. So Jacob's now in big trouble. And he said, I am, um, yeah, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. I am few in number and they will gather themselves together against me and strike me. This is verse 30. And I will be destroyed. I and my house. And then they say, should we, he treat our sister like a harlot? Oh, Lord. So to, to understand this chapter, we need to, look at what happens before this chapter and what happens after this chapter actually to get the life out of this chapter we want to see how it is in in the in the story of god's that's of, of genesis unveiling god's plan and so i'm going to read for us from verse 17 um but before i do that i'm going to give a little recap of the three troubles that jacob had just been delivered from so before chapter 34 Jacob had been living 20 years under the squeezing hand of Laban, where his, his wages didn't go up with CPI, with inflation. Actually, they went down, what, I think 10 times, down 10 times. And he was in the cold. He couldn't sleep at night. This is between chapter 28, somewhere when he had the dream, and chapter 34 or 32 or something. He had a really tough time with being squeezed by Laban, who wanted to get every little drop of juice out of Jacob. He made him work for seven years for um, Leah, got the wrong wife, seven years for, who was it, Rachel. Finally, he got the one he loved, and then he had another six years working, and it was tough for him. So then finally, in chapter 30 of Genesis, actually chapter 31, verse 3, Chapter 31, verse 3 of Genesis says, And Jehovah said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. This is just after the previous verses that says, Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away all that belonged to our father, and from what belonged to our father, he has made all this wealth. He finally got like some wealth. And Jacob saw Laban's countenance, and now it was not favorable toward him as previously. 
And then, yeah, and Jehovah said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Amen. So Jacob had been 20 years away from his dad, um, away from his mom, away from Esau. And now Jehovah says, I will be with you. Go back to the land of your fathers, to Canaan, to the land of Abraham and Isaac. Okay, and then after that, he says in verse 13, uh, just after revealing that he actually provided all this wealth for Jacob from Laban. It wasn't actually only Jacob's cleverness. And in verse 13 of chapter 31, he says, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you bowed a vow to me. Rise up now, go out from this land of Padan Aram and return to the land of your birth, that's Canaan. And the fact that God said, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you vowed a vow to me. It shows that God wanted him to go back to Bethel to fulfill that vow. And Bethel means house of God. Beth means house and El means God. So in verse 13 of chapter 31, God said, I am the God of the house of God, which in the New Testament fulfillment is the church. Well, everything in the Old Testament, in history and in types, is a, is a type of God, of a, a kind of a picture to show us God's economy, what God's plan is, his purpose, which is revealed in the New Testament. So, amen. We want to see the, the real significance in terms of God's economy. So he wanted Jacob to go to, the, to Bethel, back to the land of his fathers. And, and then he did that. Um, so then, um, so that then he, he used his cleverness to escape from Laban, his natural cleverness. And he, he went away at night. He deceived Laban. Or he went away when Jacob, when Laban wasn't watching. And then, um, then his second trouble came. Okay, and his second trouble was that Laban caught up with him. And then, fortunately, Laban wanted to um, be really angry with him, but God told Laban in a dream, don't say anything good or bad to Jacob. So even though he'd run away with his daughters and his grandchildren, um, Laban eventually is like, God told me not to say anything good or bad to you. So God took care of Jacob in the second trouble also. But then the worst trouble was still ahead because now he's going back to the land where he was born and he remembered what he did there. He was a deceitful heel holder. He first supplanted the blessing from Esau. He's, he, just like he was holding Esau's heel when he came out of the womb, here he is again. Um, he tried when he was older and he managed to steal the blessing and the birthright from Esau. And then he deceived his dad, Isaac, and he pretended to be Esau uh, in, his in Jacob's natural heel-holding clever way, and he got the blessing. So that then he had to leave because Esau would have killed him, he felt. So he's now like, oopsie, now I've got to go back to face this guy who I was stealing from, my brother. And that was a real trouble for him. So he had to... He was, he like prayed for the first time in the Bible. <laughs> it's like, Lord, I'm scared of my brother. 
He said in um, chapter 32, verse 9, Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Jehovah, who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives, and I will do you good. Um, and he says, I'm not worthy of all the loving kindness and all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant, which my staff only, I only had my staff when I first came here. Now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother of the children. But you have said, I will surely do you good and make your seed like the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And he then had that wrestling match with God and he prevailed. He was um, touched on his thigh to be, he was kind of broken by the Lord. He was also given a new name. Oh, there's so much. And um, and then eventually he, despite, and then he started being really clever and he put some camp, he's divided his army into many camps, his people into many camps to, and he gave a lot of presents to Esau. He was very natural, like as if there was no God and he didn't trust his prayer at all. And he wanted to make sure that his, yeah, that's just the way he was. I can't condemn him. He wasn't that transformed yet. But he was very natural, just like an unbeliever and um, giving gifts ahead to try and appease his brother, sending a lot of gifts. But actually his brother's heart was kind to him and he didn't need to have sent all those gifts. It's, he says, his brother said something like, um, in chapter 33, verse 8, what, what do you mean by all this camp which I mean? And he said, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. And Esau said, I have enough. I don't need any of this. Keep it. But then Jacob made, made him take it anyways. So, yeah, so that's the little, con the, the little history of before we get to 34. And, we'll be, and then I'll speak a little bit more on the end of chapter 33, which we must still start on. And so just as a very simple summary, Jacob, when he originally left Esau in Genesis 28, he had a vision of the God of the house of God, the God of Bethel. And Jacob, when he saw that vision, he said, this is an awesome place, Bethel. And he set up this pillar and he poured oil of it, full of faith, full of significance. And he said, like, I will, basically he made a vow to the Lord saying that, um, I don't know, but the effect of the vow was he's going to build the house of God. He's going to come back here. One day this place will be the house of God in Bethel. And he made a vow to the Lord. He consecrated himself to the Lord. He'd lost everything. He didn't have his family. He had just his staff. He was low. And so he was willing to hear God's, see God's vision. And he was willing to make this consecration to the Lord. Okay. Then he had all these troubles with Laban. Another trouble with Laban when Laban caught up with him. And a trouble with Esau. And he had a lot of wealth. Okay. So that's where he is now. He had made this consecration. And then... He experienced these three troubles and the God delivering him and saying he must go back now to Bethel to fulfill his vow to the land of his fathers, to Canaan, right? Okay, so now let's just read verse 17. I hope you can see it in your Bibles. I'll read it for us. It says, and Jacob journeyed to Succoth. And this is from um, meeting Esau on, on his way home. So then he journeyed to Sarkoth and he built a house for himself and made booths for his livestock. 
Okay, therefore, the name of the place is called Sakos, which means booths. So the, the recovery version has a little title there saying these titles are very helpful. They explain the chapter. It says, he returned to Canaan, but only to Shechem. So actually in verse 17, he hadn't yet returned to Canaan in God's eyes. Sakos was a place on the, the other side of the Jordan River, like inland, away from Jerusalem. It wasn't in the good land. It was, okay, so it was, in God's view, it wasn't in Canaan, because in verse 18, it says, and Jacob then, after leaving Sakos, came safely to the city of Shechem. That's the second place, which is on the land of Canaan. So if you look in your map at the end, um, you'll see that, okay, at the end of your Bible, you'll see that um, Sakos was on the east of the Jordan, and that's the place where I think it was what Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh had their land on the east of the Jordan. That was at some stage they, they told, uh, I think it was Moses or was it Joshua, they told him, well, this land looks really nice. Can you please stay here? And eventually I think Moses, Moses said, okay, fine, you can have it, but remember to cross the Jordan and fight with your brothers to get the rest of the land first. And then they went back to the land just because they liked it. But in God's view, the, the land of Canaan where they were supposed to be to enjoy the riches and to build the temple was in between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan. So Sakos was on the way there, but somehow Jacob got stuck in Sakos and he built himself a house. What? I thought you were going back to the land of your, your fathers. What's this? You built, built yourself a house and even some, some farm for your, your animals. <laughs> so he wasn't really that faithful to the, the vision God told him. Um, just out of interest, there's a verse that shows that Sakoth is on the east side of the Jordan. That's Joshua 13, 27, um, which says, And in the valley, Beth Haram and Beth Nimrah and Sakoth and Zaphon, the rest of the kingdom of the Sion, the king of Heshbon, the Jordan and its border to the end of the sea, of Chinnereth across the Jordan on the east. Okay. Okay. So, so he went to Sakos and then obviously he didn't feel that well. He didn't feel that well with God. He didn't feel that he was doing the right thing. Um, he journeyed to Sakos, but then it says, Jacob then came safely to the city of Shechem. He must have felt uneasy. Why? What am I doing in Sakos? Okay. And Shechem now was in the land of Canaan in verse 18, when he came from Padan Aram and he camped before the city. And he bought the piece of land where he had pitched his tent from the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. And there he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. So this is actually quite good. Like all of us here should admire, um, I think, Jacob's living. Yeah, because he was in the land of Canaan where God wanted him to be. He was, um, and he had a tent, which was the same kind of way that Abraham lived, just in a tent. And he also had an altar just like Abraham had, to offer up sacrifices to God. So this is very different to in Sakoth. In Sakoth, he had a, 
uh, how to study bolts for himself, and he had a booth study bolts for his children. And he had booths to care for his animals, like permanent structure. But then in Shechem, he followed the way of Abraham, his dad. And in Genesis 12, we see how he's following in the footsteps of faith of his father, Abraham. Where in verse 5, it says that Abram took his wife and Lot and all the people with him, and they went out to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to the land of Canaan. That's Genesis 12, verse 5. And Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem. Same place, eh? To the oak of Moreh. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. That's Genesis 12, 6. And then Genesis 12, 7 says, Jehovah appeared to Abram and said, to your seed I will give this land. And there he built an altar to Jehovah who had appeared to him. So Jacob was living a good Christian life. He was like, I'm not for the world. I am for, for God. I'm living in a tent. I'm not building myself a house. My permanent home is not, not here on earth. I'm going to live a tent life here. And just like Abraham had built an altar, Jacob also built an altar. And then, but, 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 in Genesis 12, 8, Abraham didn't stay in that place uh, of Shechem. He proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to Jehovah and called upon the name of Jehovah. So Abraham actually had gone further than Shechem, where um, Jacob is now seems to be stuck. So... What do you think was Jacob supposed to do in this situation? He, God had said, remember that dream of Bethel. Okay. But he would have said, I'm living a life of faith now. I'm living the Christian life. I'm living a faithful life. I've got the altar. I'm consecrated to God. And I've got a tent. Yes. And then that is when chapter 34 happens which is like the worst thing that can ima could imaginable have happened to Jacob. In chapter 34, his only daughter, he had only one daughter, Dinah, the daughter of Leah. He didn't have, you know, 11 daughters and one son. He had just one daughter. And that daughter got oh, raped. It's terrible. What a, what a, she got humbled, defiled. She... Like, as a dad, there must have been such a suffering for him. Like, the devil was so, devil's sin is so terrible. And Jacob felt the effects of the devil's sin there. But, but God allowed it. God allowed it, and for some reason it's in the Bible. So, so all these things happened. Um, the recovery version outline of the Bible said, has a caption above chapter 34 of still needing the dealing in his circumstances. So the previous verses was returning to Canaan, but only to Shechem. But then 34 kind of expands. And because he was stuck in Shechem, he needed some dealings in his circumstances. And I'll just, just in a summary way, my burden for this message is that we will see that the that whatever happens to us is for Bethel. Whatever happens to us is for Bethel. Whatever happens to us in our family, whatever 
sufferings we went through, whatever the devil's done to us or to our family or in our upbringing or whatever, God can use it for Bethel. And in, and in this case, God used all the suffering to say, um, you know, to make Jacob open, to make Jacob so open to, to follow God fully. So if, while he was having a lot of wealth and he was in Shechem, although he was living a Christian life and a faithful life, God allowed him to wonder to himself, how can a Christian go through this thing? My wife got defiled, my daughter got defiled, my only daughter, and my sons made this deceitful plan. They killed all the people in the city, all the men in the city, and then they took all the stuff, and now everybody's going to hate us. It's, it's such a dealing. And the purpose of this dealing, you can see quite clearly, it's in chapter 35, verse, verse 1, the way it starts. It says, and God said to Jacob, and God said to Jacob. So that word and is very important. It follows chapter 34 immediately, showing that it follows the events of the previous chapter. And God said to Jacob, rise up, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Yeah, so I think we'll we'll get into that chapter another another day, but it's important to realize that um, between the last verse of chapter thirty three, I don't know how you see it on your screen. Between the last verse of chapter thirty three and the first verse of chapter thirty five, Jacob needed to become open to God speaking about Bethel, and. In that process, in that gap between the last verse of chapter 33 and the first verse of chapter 35, God had to sacrifice. God allowed, basically, Satan to do a big damage to a lot of people for the sake of this one man, Jacob. We've read the story, that's why I'm not spending too much time on it, but Jacob was the one person, the one person on the earth. I don't know, maybe there were other people who feared God, um, I don't know, maybe some of the Gideonites feared God, or who did Abraham's dad um, in law come from? Jethro came from somewhere. Was he a Midianite? I can't remember, or somewhere else. So I'm sure there was people who believed in God and they were religious in this day. But God had one person with which he was moving on the earth in whatever year this was, BC. God wanted to expand Israel to be his people, for his expression, for his authority to be expressed on the earth. Wow, oh Lord. And so in order to gain him, he let there be such a sacrifice. And let me just repeat, Jacob wasn't like one of the persons you'd think of who has a little halo around him, like a saint. We've just seen how he deceived his dad, he deceived Laban, um, his sons followed his deceitful ways to deceive the people of Shechem. So he wasn't that much of an amazing guy. He didn't have much to be proud of. But for some reason, God chose Jacob um, to transform him. He chose him before he'd done anything good or bad, before he was born. While he was in the mom's womb, he said, um, would be, the older would serve the younger. So God had a plan with Jacob. and. He allowed all these things to happen to Jacob so that his plan could be fulfilled. 
So yeah, may we see that everything that happens to us in our family life, in our work life, in our all our sufferings, uh, maybe people not respecting us or I don't know, us losing things that's precious to us or all these things can be used for God to bring some to Bethel for the fulfillment of his purpose. Yeah. Daddy, lots of time. Yes. I I gems, lots of time. Oh, that's not nice. Yeah, we all lose things. Yeah, it's part of growing up. Mm-hmm. Amen. So yeah, Jacob lost a lot, but God has His purpose with it. Oh Lord, Amen. I'm just looking at the chapter to see if there's anything else I'd like to share. From this chapter. Yeah, I think that's basically it. Okay, but here's, here's something that's very interesting also. And chap- so you'll notice that it was which of two, which two of um, Jacob's sons who did this? It was Levi and Simeon. Mm-hmm. Levi and Simeon were the ones who actually slew everybody. And this is very interesting for me. So Levi and Simeon were kind of angry people. If you look at the footnote there, oh, sorry, the cross-reference, Genesis 49, 5 to 7, Simeon and Levi, 49, 5 to 7. It shows that this thing that Jacob's sons did really affected him for the rest of his life. He never just like got healed from it and forgave and it's like was a wound on his heart, what his sons did, until when he died. He even remembered it when he's blessing his 12 sons. Um, 49, verse 5 to 7, Jacob says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Come not into their counsel. Stay away from them. O oh, my soul, be not united with their assembly. O oh, my glory. For in their anger they slew men, and in their self-will they hamstrung oxen. So they even, it doesn't say so in Genesis 34 that we read together, but they even killed the animals. They like cut their nerves so that they'll be like die a bad death. They hamstrung the oxen. They were so angry, so violent. And then verse 7 of Genesis 49 says, Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Okay, so we realize it really affected him. But what is interesting is that when the Israelites later were worshiping the the golden calf, and Moses said to them, you know, everybody, like, whoever's for the Lord, go and um, kill your brother who's worshiping the golden calf. Who was it but only the tribe of Levi that obeyed that word? And they were willing to go against their natural, um, I don't know, their natural preference or whatever to be absolute for the Lord. So that's an example where a terrible, angry disposition in Levi in Genesis 34, killing all these people for no reason, became in resurrection a useful angry disposition. I don't know what to say. A useful, absolute disposition. Maybe let's not say it's an angry disposition. But they were willing to kill the part of the people that was worshipping idols. Um, And we need to also be willing to kill the part of our natural life that wants to worship idols or that hinder us from enjoying Christ, from Max. 
And likewise, it was some from Levi, who in Numbers 25, verse 7 and 8, there were some fornicators. And I think it was Phineas from Levi who killed the fornicators. Um, some, there were, it was terrible sin that came into the people at that time. So, so that's encouraging that whatever we are, sinful or whatever, from our genes, from our natural life, the Lord can transform it to be useful in his purpose, to be kind of, kind of sweet in resurrection. Amen. May that encourage us. Yeah, hey? this is not a nice chapter in terms of the sin that happened. Amen. Okay, I think I'm basically ready to hand over to Adrian. Yeah, okay, I guess I'll just summarize this way. is Without being in a difficult environment, we're often unable to listen to the word of God. And that's why um, God is willing to sacrifice so many people for us. And this is also a sweet thing that God doesn't want to say a single word in vain. He never speaks in vain. And if God had said, if there was an extra verse in 33, if it was went from chapter 33, verse 21, and God said, go to Bethel, Jacob wouldn't have listened. He wouldn't have been open. And it's the same with us. Many times God would want to lead us somewhere or shepherd us by saying something to us, but we're just not willing. We're not willing to hear his word. We're happy with the things we've got. We're comfortable. We think we're a faithful Christian with a tent and an altar. And so then we'll, God, God will say, amen, I'll just allow certain circumstances to come to you, some difficult environments, so that you will be open. Um, yeah, he waits for certain things to happen to us, Daddy. and then you'll be open to him. Daddy, I amen. Hear, I can't hear God. Yes. Uh, we, we, we can hear him by reading the word. You know that. <laughs> I don't understand. Okay. Yeah. Like if we yeah, God speaks to us through the Bible. This is Amen. Adrian, I think you can continue. Amen. May the Lord speak to us through our speaking. Amen. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you, David. Um, so, brothers and sisters, my burden. Um, and I think this really continues from what David was sharing with us. Our burden tonight is that we would see that God has a heart for Bethel. This is what is in God's heart. He wants to have a building on this earth. He wants to gain a dwelling place for himself. He wants to gain a dwelling place with man. He wants to be one with man. Be joined with man, mingled with man. Well, this is what we see in the New Testament. But even in the Old Testament, this dream that, that Jacob had in Genesis chapter 28 is the most critical point in the entire book of Genesis. That's not what I'm saying, okay? That's what, that's what Brother Lee said. He said that the most critical point in the book of Genesis is Jacob's dream in chapter 28. That is quite profound. Because for me personally, maybe I think, well, Genesis 1.26, that's a very critical verse, right? That's 
showing us that God created man in his image according to his likeness. God had a purpose in his creation of man. Well, with this dream at Beth El, actually we see that God's purpose in creation, his purpose with redemption, that he even showed all a man after he fell, his purpose in his in his calling up Abraham, his purpose in his in, in Abraham living a life by faith, trusting in God, his purpose in choosing Jacob, his purpose in Isaac living a life where he just enjoyed grace is Bethel. So we're really burdened tonight that brothers and sisters, this would become a vision to us, that we would see that what is in God's heart is not our individual pursuit of him, our individual growth in life, our individual victory, our individual spirituality, our individual salvation. But God's goal is the house. So um, I'm going to share a, a little bit of an overview. Uh, so we want to have, I'm going to share like a bird's eye view, uh, cover this matter of God's building in various places of the Bible. So starting with the Old Testament, we, we have seen in Genesis, what a precious book, right? That, that God eventually, after everything that he created, he created man. And after he created man, he had finally gained a vessel into whom he could put his life, who would be able to bear his image, to express him, and would be able to deal with his enemy by being by representing God on the earth. So eventually, God was at rest. He had gained this vessel, man and woman. He created him, and and through this, he could now have his expression on the earth. But we know that fallen, that created man fell, and eventually fallen race became so fallen that God gave up on created race, and He called Abram out of that created race, and he began to work with the call-up race, which is Abraham, right, which was with Abraham. So with Abraham, God now began to work to gain two things, right? He, he promised Abraham two things. He promised Abraham a seed, and he promised him the land. That is what God needs in order to have his expression on the earth. He needs man. He needs, he needs a remnant. And then he also needs the land. He needs the possession, the enjoyment of the riches of the land, the produce of the land, so that eventually on this land, there would be a dwelling place both. There would be a place where God could dwell among his people. Okay, so God then began to work with this, with this called grace. And, and so eventually in Genesis chapter 28, David did refer to this. I, I just want to read these few verses to us. Actually, just um, from verse 18, Genesis 8, uh, 28, verse 18. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Beth El. But the name of the city was loosed previously. And Jacob bowed a bow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way, and I go and will that I go and will give me bread to eat and garments to put on, 
so that I shall return to my father's house in peace. Then Jehovah will be my God. And this stone, which I have set up as a pillar, will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give you one thing to you. Okay, so the crucial point here that I want to um, just focus on here is he speaks about this stone, which I have set up as a pillar, will be God's house. This is what Jacob vowed to the Lord. He vowed that this place would be a house to God. Now, when we come to the end of chapter 33, we see that David, David showed us how he journeyed to Sukkoth. There he built a house, right? He, what does it say? He built a house for himself, oh Lord, and made booths for his livestock. So he really began to settle down. He really had a, a, a living. But, but something in him must have been, like David was sharing, I appreciated that. There's something within him that must have unsettled him a bit. Yes, Jacob, you have a house. But what about my house? And so Jacob journeyed further to Shechem. And there he lived the life of the tent and the altar. However, God still had to open him up so that he could speak a word to him. Go to Bethel. Okay, so Jacob had been preserved by the Lord from Laban, from Esau. He had, a, he had, he had brought him back. He went with the staff. Now he came back with two camps. We saw last week. But he was still not at Bethlehem. Okay, so now, in chapter 35, verse 1, God could speak to Jacob and say to him, Rise up, go to Bethlehem. Go to the house of God and dwell there. Okay, so, Jacob goes through a lot. A lot of people go through a lot in chapter 34. For the purpose of God being able to show him something. Oh, may the Lord have mercy on us. That when he speaks something to us, there would be an opening within us. That he could speak this word to us. Okay, so Jacob, he never actually built a house for God. He never at the reality of Bethel. That only came later with Moses when the tabernacle was built. When the tabernacle was built, that was God's, that was Bethel. That was God's dwelling place with man. So Jacob never, never had this. However, God did have something with Jacob because when God changed his name, he changed his name to Israel. And in that name Israel, there is that little at the end, right, which means God. So this household of Israel was really the household of God. So in a way, God did have a house. He did have a dwelling place among men. He had, he had the household of Israel, which was the household of God. But it was not so, so um, uh, how can we say, so, so final, so, so tangible as when the tabernacle was built. And eventually, when the Israelites were able to go into the good land, possess the good land, enjoy the rich produce of the good land, eventually through David, preparing everything, and then Solomon building the temple, God now had a very solid, not just a movable dwelling place in the tabernacle, but he had a, he had a solid dwelling place on the earth, in the temple in Jerusalem, on Mount Zion, right? 
And later on, we see that Israel turned from the Lord. They turned to idols. And then God had to discipline them. And, through, and, and then what God did is he would, he would send the nations. He would send the Babylonians, instigated by uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. They would conquer Israel and take them captive to Babylon. But then after 70 years, they went back to rebuild the temple again. Okay, so the Old Testament, really, you can summarize it in these, these, these four words. The house of Jacob, his household. The tabernacle, the temple, and the rebuilding of the temple. That is the overview of God's building. That's the bird's eye view of the Old Testament. Okay, now when we come to the New Testament, what do we see? Now, the Old Testament, that's the type, right? All, those, all that we see in the Old Testament is, is, is the types. In the New Testament, the Lord had to come to be the reality. So in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we beheld His glory. Okay, so now the Word had, had become the tabernacle. Of God. Here was the tabernacle of God in the person of Christ. Now, this was the reality of Bethel. Okay. Then, further on in chapter two, the Lord says to them in verse 19, and Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. And the, Lord, the Jews said, Oh, this temple took 46 years to build. You will raise it up in three days. But he spoke of the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead. His disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed all the scriptures and the word which Jesus had spoken. Okay, so the Lord clearly shows us when he was incarnated, he shows us that he is the temple and the tabernacle. Okay, and this, even from the beginning of his ministry, when he called the disciples, he wanted to impress them with this matter of God's dwelling place, of this matter of the, 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 the tabernacle and the temple that God desires this dwelling place among men. So when he calls Peter in John 1, um, verse 42, and he led him to Jesus, looking at him, Jesus said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is interpreted Peter. Okay, that means stone. So from the very beginning, the Lord is telling Peter, listen, you are Simon, but I'm going to make you a stone for God's building. This really impressed Peter. We look at some verses just now. And then to Nathaniel, later on in chapter 51, I'm oh, sorry, verse 51 of chapter 1, he says, And he said to him, Truly, truly, I said to you, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Wow. This was the dream that, that Jacob had, right? The dream of Bethel is realized by the Lord Jesus. This ladder, joining heaven to earth, bringing God to the earth and establishing God's building on the earth. In Matthew chapter 16, the Lord took his disciples away. After being with them in Jerusalem, being with them in all these places, he takes them away to Caesarea Philippi. And then in this place, away from all this, all the all the things that, that hinder us, all the, all the drugging of religion, all this drugging of our concepts, he takes them away 
to this place called Caesarea Philippi. And he asked them, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they say, I'm, I'm reading from Matthew chapter 16, verse 14. And they say, some John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, many says them, okay, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay, Jesus, now what does Jesus respond? Blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah, because flesh and blood is not to go with you, but my Father is in the heavens. And I also say to you that you are Peter, or stone. Again, this word must have really impressed Peter. The Lord is calling him a stone. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Okay, so Peter is really impressed with this matter of a stone. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, sorry, I'm jumping around a lot. I hope you saints are getting some impression. I want to really just show us that this matter of God's building is not just something that, that, that we want to take lightly or that's just something that, oh, it's one verse here and then it's, it's, it's not really that much emphasized in the Bible. No. So that's why I'm going through a lot of verses, okay? In 1 Corinthians 2, chapter, chapter, chapter 3, verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid a foundation and another builds upon it. But let each man take heed how he builds upon it. And then he says, For another foundation no one is able to lay besides that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay, so even when the Lord was on the earth, he began to open to the disciples this matter of God's building. Peter, in First uh, Peter chapter 2, Verse 4, coming to him a living stone, rejected by men, but with God chosen and precious. So this is referring to the Lord Jesus, right? You yourselves also as living stones are being built together as a spiritual house into a holy priesthood to offer our spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Okay? So we are being built up as a spiritual house. When Peter first preached the gospel, or maybe that's not the first time, okay? But in, in Acts chapter 4, this is a very impressive gospel. And we even might have preached the gospel like this. Verse 12. And there is salvation in no other, for neither is there another name under heaven given among men in which we must be saved. So this verse clearly shows us that there is only one name by which man can be saved. And that is the name of Jesus. And so we, we can even preach this in a bold way. If you do not call the name of the Lord Jesus, there is no way that you can be saved. He is the only name in heaven and on earth. There is no other name that man can be saved through. This name of Jesus. But what does the verses before that say? This is the stone, verse 11, which the builders considered as, which was considered as nothing by you, the builders, which has become the head of the corner. Okay, so brothers and sisters, when Peter preached the gospel, he preached Jesus as the cornerstone for God's 
boldly. He did not just preach salvation as if that is the goal of God's eternal purpose to save us. God's purpose was to gain a building. He, he, this Lord Jesus, he is not just our Savior, but he is a stone for God's building, this stone which was rejected. This is the name by which we are saved. Amen. Hallelujah. This is the stone, Savior. In Revelation, this is the consummation of the entire Bible. Okay, if we didn't have Revelation, we would not have such a, a, a consummation, such a, um, what is a good word for consummation, right? Everything comes together in the book of Revelation. So in Revelation, we see something. We see God's building. Now, in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, of course, in, 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 in the previous chapters, there's a lot spoken of, of the, the golden lampstands, the church. But then in chapter 4 and 5, there's not that, that clear reference to God's building. But okay, there is a reference to the one with the seven eyes. Okay, in chapter 4, um, there are the seven spirits of God, verse 5. Then in ch the chapter 5, it says, In the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, a lamb standing as having just been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. Okay, so what are these seven eyes, these seven spirits? So to understand this, we have to go and see what does the rest of the Bible say about this? Okay, so there are some very good verses in Zechariah. I'm going to read some of these verses to us. In Zechariah chapter 4, and ah, chapter 3 and chapter 4. So in chapter 3, verse 9, it says, For there is the stone which I have set before Joshua. Upon one stone are seven eyes. Okay, so there's a stone. Before Joshua, and upon the stone are seven eyes. Okay, now in chapter 4, verse 10, it says, For who has despised the day of small beginnings? For these seven rejoice when they, when they see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the seven eyes of Jehovah running to and fro um, on the whole earth. The seven eyes of Jehovah. Okay, now, um, I just want to read this uh, 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 Revelation chapter 5, verse 6 again. The seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Okay, so here we see the seven spirits are related to the seven eyes or related to a stone. Okay, so now, what we want to see is that the one who was sitting on the throne, the lion, Lamb is really the lion, lamb, stone. To the enemy, he's the lion, destroying the enemy. Then, as our redeemer, he is the lamb. But for God's building, he is the stone. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is our lion, lamb, stone, savior. We have to see that that is God's eternal purpose. 
is not just to redeem us, but to be such a lion lamb stone for God's building. Today, a lot of people are speaking about salvation. They are speaking about the redemption of Christ. And they are praising the Lord, praising the Lamb for His blood that has saved us and has cleansed us. Praise the Lord that He has saved and cleansed us and He has washed us. And we are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb through whom we have access to God. But we need to praise the Lord as the stone, not just as the lamb, not just as the lion. Praise the Lord for those aspects. But what about praising the Lord as the stone? That's why I'm so happy we could sing this hymn tonight, where we don't just have the view of God coming to save us, but that God is saving us for the building. God is saving us so that, so that he can gain a building among his people. He wants to gain a building among his people. Brothers and sisters, I hope that we would see this. I hope that our eyes would open up and that this would become a vision to us personally so that, so that we would realize this, so that there would be something that impresses our being. Lord, Lord, I'm not just on this earth to build a house for myself and booths and set up a nice, a nice living for myself. I'm also not just, like David said, living the life of the altar and the tent. Okay, I live in a tent. I'm not for the earthly, earthly enjoyments. I'm not for these things. I'm a good Christian. I'm, 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 I'm praising God. I'm living a life to the Lord. Well, the Lord is after Jacob going to Bethel. That is why everything has happened to Jacob up until now. Everything in Jacob's life is for this purpose. The Lord wants to gain a building. The Lord wants to show us, brothers and sisters, I'm not just after you being someone who's now broken or someone in him. No, God is after a dwelling place with man. This is what is in the Lord's heart today. This is, this is what, what he desires for man to see. If we could be such a group of people, if we could be a group of people who would not live for our own victory, for our own spirituality. Oh, I'm such, living such a victorious Christian life. I'm overcoming all my sin, all my temper, all my anxiety. I'm learning to live a life of trusting the Lord. I'm living by faith. Well, Lord Jesus, you know what will happen if we live a life for God's building? If we begin to live a life for God's building, you know what? All those other things that we are seeking will happen very spontaneously. It will happen. We will have the victory in the Lord. We will have, we will have a life that is living for God's purpose. We will live a life that satisfies God. Those things are not things that we need to seek apart from God's building. God's entire purpose is for this building. God's heart is for this building. This is where in which the Lord delights. And so Jacob, he had all of these experiences so that God could bring him back to Bethlehem, so that God could bring him back to the house of God. Now today, the church is Bethel. Today, this 
this that we have entered into, it's, it, it, it is simply not good enough what we see happening in Christianity today. So many different denominations, so many different groups who all have had their ministry and their, and their vision and their goal. But brothers and sisters, the church that we want to enter into is the reality of the dwelling place of God on the earth today. That is the purpose of God creating man. God wants a dwelling place with man. That is the purpose of God calling out Abraham, working with this core race, working with these Abraham, Isaac, with Jacob. That is God's purpose in gaining this, these people, Israel, his, his, his dwelling place in a sense. That was God's purpose in the tabernacle, in the temple, even in the rebuilding of the temple, eventually with the Lord. God gained the reality of the temple and the tabernacle. But God did not just desire this individual Christ to live this life for God's building. But he wants corporate expression. He wants the church, which is the body of Christ, to be his dwelling place on the earth today. Oh, may this vision become a vision that governs everything that we do. And brothers and sisters, I tell you, if this, if the Lord is able to show us this vision, we will not be sidetracked by so many other things. That's why I'm sharing this with us tonight. Because if we have this bird's eye view, there's so many details in the Bible, right? And so many people get lost in it. And, and unfortunately, what happens if we, if we leave this, let's call it the main street. So if you look at a map, you want to be able to find where are the main streets? Which, which streets should I follow if I want to get around? If I want to move from one city to another city, yes, there's a lot of little streets in the city. There's a lot of neighborhoods and things. But if you go down all those streets, you'll get lost. You won't know where you are. You lose your direction. And that's what unfortunately happens to so many of God's children. So many ones who really love the Lord. They don't remain on the main street. And if we, and if we, if we get distracted from the main street, what happens is we get off on these branches. And these other little things, even things like salvation, which is a tremendous matter. But we have to see that salvation is the procedure that God is using to bring us back to himself so that he can pull us together, so that he can have such a building. So the Lord wants us to remain on this main street. Oh, and may he, may he really gain a group of people who see this, who may see that this is who the Lord is. This is what the Lord told Peter. Peter, upon this rock, upon this revelation of who I am, the Lord is the Lord is everything in God's building. And so if we are not distracted, we will realize that, that the Lord desires to be all this to us. He desires to be the lion, our, our victorious Christ who defeats the enemy. He desires to be the lamb who redeems us, but he also desires to be the stone, the foundation stone for the building, I think it's a mention in Isaiah. He desires to be the cornerstone, as we read in, in S chapter 4. And he desires to be the topstone in Zechariah. He desires to be these very structural, in, integral parts of God's building. He desires to be this stone for God's building. 
And so he desires to make us the living stones. He's working in Jacob's environment. He's working with so many different things, right? Even chapter 34, seemingly so many negative things happen, but eventually Jacob's being is just open and he's able to speak to Jacob. God is able to speak to him. Jacob, you vowed the vow. You said this is the house of God. Go to go up to Bethel. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, may we be those who learn to also go up to Bethel. Hallelujah. We're, we're learning to go up to Bethel. Amen. Even though it was further south, we're going up to Bethel. Right, we're going, we're going, and we are we are on our way. And everything in our in our Christian life, in our human life, all these things in our church life is for the building. Amen. Sorry, I was in the class, so I did not able to take care of to be with you. I want to share something what I learned in chapter 34. Um, in chapter 32, God touched Jacob's thigh. But in chapter 34, God touched Jacob's heart. That is his daughter. When God comes to wrestling with Jacob, he cannot prevail against Jacob. So God touched the strongest part of his body, which is the thigh. But here, chapter 34, something deeper in Jacob's heart. God touched Jacob's heart. That is his daughter. <clears throat> Why God touched Jacob's heart? Because Jacob, his heart is not for God yet. You know, even he lived, he already come closer. Imagine he moved uh, from chapter 33, verse 17. He moved from Sukkot and come to Shechem. It's much closer. And Number one in Sukkot, he even don't care for God's life. He live a life that don't care for God's need. But now he moved to Shechem. It is, should be much more better. And in Shechem, he built the tent and the altar. What else? It's good enough. But God said, you, your heart is still not for me. <laughs> you still want, you know, Shechem is a very nice place. Maybe just like Dockensburg, I don't know. It's a nice place, or New Zealand, or somewhere. And yes, he got a good life here. And then maybe let's stay here. And we still care for God. I can also build an altar and a, and a tent like my grandfather. I said, no, no, no. Your heart's still not for me. This is what I wrote in my Bible. Even he lived a life godliness but he is not filled with God's heart for God's purpose he can have an altar and a tent but still in the halfway number two God will finish what he has begun God called him from the house of Laban go go to the place now go to Bethel I will be with you I did not call you to go to Shechem to find your place that you can settle down. God will begin, God will finish what he had begun. That's number two. And number three, if we are not for God's purpose, he will come to intervene us. This 
chapter just shows us God came to intervene. It makes everything just a mess. And then number four, if we are not for God's purpose, if we live our own way, he will expose our flesh. He will expose our disposition. No. Did you see, ever, did you ever consider people such as Simeon and Levi, their disposition are fully dispo, dispo, exposed? You know, you're not only not happy, but you make this kind of dealing. You cause people to circumcise, and that's already quite severe. And after people circumcise, you kill them. <laughs> and not only kill them, you, you, you hamstrung the, the cattle. What did, what did this cattle do with you? You hamstrung them. You know, hamstrung, you, you hurt, you wonder, you wonder their legs. They're not gonna die right away, but oh, I tell you, that's cruel. That is cruel. It's cruel. You know, that disposition just you just never consider that people can do this thing, this thing. You know, until Jacob, even Jacob before he died, he started bless his 12 children. This thing did not get out of his memory. He just say, You too, <laughs> you too. Simeon and Levi, you are oh, if you come to chapter 49, you just see Jacob was so touched in this matter. And the rest of his life, he never forget. In this chapter, God touched Jacob's heart. One is Dina, has been defiled. The other one, these two sons, touch his heart. And this come, this, this shows us God intervened. And eventually, that is um, chapter 35, but Etienne mentioned, and God said to Jacob, okay, rise up. Okay. If there is no chapter 34, I don't think Jacob going to rise up. Okay. Jacob will say, oh, yeah. what's wrong with Shechem? Okay. I live a life of altar and the tent, like my grandfather, but God said, no. I don't care for your life, I just care for my purpose. You live a life for my purpose. Amen. Praise the Lord. This is a painful chapter, but this still expose our flesh, also reveal God's heart. God, we can be indifferent, but God is not indifferent. You know the word indifference, that is no interest. God is so interested for his purpose. Amen. Amen. And yes, one thing I forgot to mention is that the natural next provision from the altar should always be the temple. That means when we as a Christian consecrate ourselves to the Lord, the natural, the, the proper automatic next result should be that we are given for the church life and we're given for the blessing of others, uh, not just to live an individual Christian life. And that's seen when they returned in Ezra. The first thing they built wasn't the wall or the temple, but the altar. And then after that came the the temple in the city so 
with Jacob, it didn't happen, so God had to intervene. May we give ourselves for the, the, the church. Amen. For all the Amen. saints. Amen. For God's building, dwelling place with man, his mingling with man. Amen. Amen.